Turn with me tonight to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2, I'm going to read from verse 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord, reading, of course, from the authorized version. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whether the men went, I would not. Pursue after them quickly, for he shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house, and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan unto the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt. And what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now therefore I pray you swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token, and that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, Our life for yours, if ye utter not this our business. And it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourself there three days until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may you go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath, which thou hast made us to swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou did let us down by. 
And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head. And we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then will be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, According unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed. And she bound the scarlet line in the window. And they went and came unto the mountain and abode there three days until the pursuers were returned. And the pursuers sought after them throughout all the way, but found them not. So the two men returned and descended from the mountain and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun and told him all things that befell them. And they said unto Joshua, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. Amen. We know the Lord has stamped with his own approval and blessing this reading of Joshua chapter 2 in our hearing tonight. Now my text tonight is taken from Joshua chapter 2 and the verse 18. And my theme tonight is the amazing conversion of Rahab the harlot. Now, these words were spoken by two spies from the camp of Israel to Rahab the harlot in her own house that was situated on the great walls of the city of Jericho. The city of Jericho was one of the oldest continuously inhabited cities in the world. It's known as the city of roses or the city of palm trees. It's also, sadly, a very wicked place. Think of drunkenness, you could think of stealing, adultery, cursing, lying, idolatry, blasphemy, sodomy. You, you could think of harlotry and bribery. This was the order of the day. False religion of the Canaanites flourished and thrived in Jericho. Jericho has been forever associated with the curse of God. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, the children of Israel under the leadership of Joshua were now about to enter into the promised land. And the first great obstacle that would hinder their progress in conquering the promised land was the city of Jericho. So consequently, two spies were sent out by Joshua to go and spy out the city and the surrounding countryside in general and report back to him privately. However, in the course of their activity, their presence was somehow detected in Jericho. We don't know how or who informed the king of Jericho of their presence of the spies in the city. The reality is, if it hadn't been for the quick thinking of a woman named Rahab, they surely would have been captured, no doubt tortured, and most likely executed. Rahab took these two men, hid them on the roof of their house, informed the king's guard that the men did come to her house, but they had left under the cover of darkness. She urged the soldiers to pursue after them quickly. She said to them, by way of reassurance, for ye shall surely overtake them. The king's soldiers were sent on a false trail. Under the cover of darkness, Rahab let the men down the huge thick walls that surrounded Jericho at the side of her house, 
and thus they were able to escape and report back to their commanding officer. Now, amazingly, before the two spies left her house, she pleaded with them that when the armies of Israel would come into Jericho, that she would be spared. And not only her, but her entire family circle, her mother, her father, her brothers, her sisters, her aunts and uncles. And Rahab, of course, believed and desired and felt abundantly sure that Jericho would fall and the Israelite was going to win and conquer the city and the land. Rahab was really asking them for personal salvation, for protection of the spies. The spies made a strange arrangement that's found in the words of chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou did let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. This was the condition that the pact was struck between Rahab and the two spies. And tonight, for a few minutes, I want us to look at the amazing grace of God in the life of Rahab the harlot and the wonderful transformation of her life by the power of God. And as we think of our series of messages, amazing conversions in the Bible, we've looked at Naaman, we've looked at Saul of Tarsus, we have looked at blind Bartimaeus, and tonight we're going to look at a woman called Rahab the harlot, and we're going to think about the amazing conversion of this particular woman. I want you to notice three things as you think about her conversion. I want you to think about the faith that Rahab declared. Now, notice the language of her faith. Joshua chapter 2, 9 to 13, that I've read in your hearing, records for us Rahab's statement of faith. Here she is sharing with the spies some of the thing that she knows about the true and the living God. And his relationship with the children of Israel. Look at the text. Listen to her language. This is the language of personal testimony. This is the language of faith that she declares. Notice that she believes in the person of God. Look at chapter 2 verse 11. It says, For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above. And in the earth beneath. And if you were to read carefully chapter 2, verses 9 through to 13, you'll discover that the word Lord and God is mentioned five times. And five, of course, in the Bible is the number of grace. And this woman's had a gracious revelation brought into her hearing and her understanding about. The person of God. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. In other words, he's the only living and true God. Look at verse 10. For we have heard, and we'll pause there. How did she hear? She was a Canaanite. She's living in Jericho. James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary on Joshua suggests that this hearing came about probably through gossip. 
the various strangers that came into her house. If you look at verse 1, it says, And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. Now you think of the many stories that were repeated by various strangers in her house of lodging. The things that they would have talked about. And they would have repeated what God had did in Egypt. How he dried up the Red Sea. How the children of Israel under God had slain the two kings of the Amorites. Remember the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And, and Rahab believed this report. Report about the person of God. She heard about the power of God. Verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you were come out of Egypt. And what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, even knew their names, whom you utterly destroyed. You see, she was thinking about the power of God. And, and she testifies that the terror has fallen upon us. And all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. Look at verse 11. And as soon as we heard these things, our heart did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. It's all to do with the power of God. God is at work in and through you. She heard about the people of God. Notice the repetition. Because of you. Verse 11. Because of you. There's clear evidence in her mind that God was working in the hearts and lives of his people. God is with you. God is in you. God is for you. Something else. They heard about the punishment of God. You see, Rahab believed something in her heart. Not only about the person of God and the power of God and the people of God. But you heard that judgment was coming to Jericho. She believed that she was living in a city under the curse of God. One of the things that she believes and knows is that city is doomed, that its days are numbered, and it will fall before the Israelitish army. And, and all the inhabitants of the city are going to die. The city will be burnt with fire. It will be left in heap as a fearful testament to the wrath and anger of Almighty God. And she was full of conviction. She was convinced the presence, the power, and the person of God was at work in the lives of his people. She had evidence. She cited it. God is at work in you. God is for you. God is with you. God is working through you. You see, I'm convinced tonight that Rahab, before she met the spies, was already an Old Testament believer. Before the spies ever entered into her house, I'm convinced that Rahab believed in the person of God, the power of God, the people of God, and the punishment of God. Her life was already changed. Her life was already radically transformed. She was a new creature. Doesn't the, the Bible tell us, if you listen to what Hebrews chapter 11 says, Hebrews 11 and verse 31, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies 
with peace. The Bible tells us if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. There's a story told of a street preacher being heckled by a man. The man was shouting, you're dreaming, mate. You're asleep, mate. And a wee boy tugged at his coat and said, hey, mister, that's my daddy. Please leave him alone. For before he was a preacher, he was a drunkard. He beat up my mummy. He beat me. And I was often hungry and went to bed crying. And at times I had no food. And he was arrested by the police and he'd get into fights. And you know what? Now he's home every night. Now he loves my mummy. Now he loves me. Now he reads to me the Bible stories before I go to sleep at night. He's a good daddy. And if he's dreaming, please don't ever wake him up. See, the wee boy's seen a change in daddy. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. All things have become new. And Rahab the harlot, I believe, was already not only a believer, but her life was changed and transformed by the grace of God. I believe before the spies ever came to Jericho, God had in free sovereign grace reached out to Ahab. God guided the spies to her house, this house of shame, this house of ill repute, this house of harlotry, because God knew she had already believed. She had already trusted in him. She was already converted before the spies came. And what we have in Joshua 2 verses 9 to 13 is the lady's confession of her faith in God, in his person, in his power, in his people, in his punishment for sin and wickedness. Think of it. A practitioner of harlotry, a woman who sold her body for money, a practitioner of the religion of the Canaanite, and she's now a true believer. She's now a changed woman. Doesn't grace work in very unusual places? Unexpected places. Here's the believers in Jericho. And we know one of them was called Rahab the harlot. Even in the city of the curse. She had no Bible. She had no preacher. There was no prayer meetings. And yet she's saved. Transformed by the amazing grace of God. You see we can't limit God. Didn't God encourage Paul. When he was thinking about preaching in Corinth. And he was fearful. Didn't God tell him that he had much people in this city? And here we are tonight sitting in a gospel service and, and we, 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 we think of the hearts of our loved ones, that they have no interest in the things of God, how, how hard they really are and how unresponsive and faithless they are to, to the teaching of the blood and the book and it's difficult to get them under the sound of the gospel and we feel that not much is happening. Listen, Let's not limit God. God's grace can and does prevail even in the most unlikely of places. Not only the language of faith, but notice the lifestyle of her faith. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. But she had brought them up to the roof of her house and hid them with the stalks of flax which she had laid in order upon the roof. You see, I believe that Rahab had already given up her life of harlotry, of selling her body for money, and she had now a loo livelihood. I, I know that the Bible calls her Rahab the harlot every time she's mentioned in the scriptures. But here we have, in chapter 2, verse 6, mention of the stalks of flax. 
Can you think offer out in the field? Cutting the flack? Gathering it up? Laying it out in the rooftop to dry in bundles? With the anticipation of spinning and weaving the flax? Usually the gathering of the flax was associated with honourable women in the city. With hard-working women in the city. That's why I'm saying I believe she was no longer in the business of harlotry. She was no longer selling her body for money. And you think, of course, in the story here, there's mention of the line of scarlet thread. Where did she get that from? Was that not part of her new trade now? Did she not use the scarlet thread to to bind the flax? See, see, I'm suggesting tonight she was radically changed by the grace of God. The faith that she was declared, the language of faith, the lifestyle of faith. I, I want to just refer to one thing because somebody has already mentioned this to me. What about the lie that she told? We're going to ask the question, is lying ever justified? Was it right for her to lie to the king about the spies? Some allege, of course, this was culturally acceptable. Others maintain, rightly, I believe, that it's wrong to lie, that a lie's a lie. There's no such thing as a white lie. They're all black, black as hell. Some would argue, but this was a life and death situation. Let's put ourselves in Rahab's shoes. Suppose we'd lived in World War II. We had a house in Nazi Germany. The Nazis came. Any Jews here? Any allied soldiers here? Any resistant of the movement here? That would be very difficult to say, oh yes, I have two Jews hiding in the attic and I've got an allied soldier in the basement. Because you know what would happen? They would be arrested, tortured, probably executed along with you. So put yourself in a life and death situation. That's the situation that Rahab was in. On top of that, I believe she was a person who had just become a new believer. She was just emerging from spiritual darkness, from the religion of the Canaanites. Now, of course, some would say, and rightly so, but but God's not dead. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Could he not have blinded the eyes of the soldiers who were searching our house? Could the two spies not have remained undetected in our house, even though a search was undertaken? We all know that lying is wrong. It's condemned in the Bible, and I cannot and could not, no commentator does, justify Rahab's lies. But as I've said, think of the life and death situation. Think of the fact that she was just a new believer. And I'll add one other thing. Not one believer is ever perfect. Solomon said, there's not a just man that liveth and sinneth not. There's not a just man, a righteous man, a believer that doesn't sin. We're nothing but sinners in thought and word and deed before God. And yet the reality is, despite the lie, Rahab's faith was never called into question by the Lord. So I put it to you tonight, do you believe in the person of God, that he's the living and the true God? Do you believe in the power of God? Do you believe in the people of God? Are you one of those people? Do you you believe in the punishment of God? You see, the fate of Jericho and its inhabitants was a miniature representation of the fate that awaits this whole world. This world is reserved, according to the teaching of the Bible, for 
uh, the judgment of God. We read there in 2 Peter chapter 3 and in the verse 10, an amazing statement. It says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are in them shall be burnt up. This world is waiting for that event to happen. This world is reserved for the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And if you're not saved tonight, if you're not a true believer, then you along with this world are heading for sure and certain judgment. There's no exception and there's no escapees. But Rahab took a step towards her deliverance and salvation. There's no hope for her remaining in the place of the curse. Except she believed the faith that she declared. Notice secondly, the fruitfulness that Rahab displayed. Rahab's faith was real, true, saving faith. A faith that was evidenced by her works. Her faith in God was proven by her works. Listen to what the apostle um, James says in James uh, chapter 2 and verse 25. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. You see, the faith that saves, that unites us to Christ, while we're saved by faith alone, that true saving faith is never alone because it is always accompanied by works. Now, now think of Rahab's faith for a moment. Here's how fruitful it was. Prove it's real and genuine. It was a courageous faith. City of Jericho is ruled by a king. Did you know that that city was eight to ten acres in size? It had thick walls, double walls. That's what the archaeologists would tell us. And the, the walls were so vast that you could have ridden a few chariots right around those walls in a race. This is a strategic city. Jericho is sitting bang smack in the middle of the land of Israel. And Joshua knows it. And what does he want to do? He wants to divide Israel in two. We will conquer Jericho and then we'll go to the south. And after we conquered that, we'll move to the north. And Rahab played a part in that strategic downfall of Jericho. How did she play a part? She didn't report the presence of the spies to the king. She helped the spies. She hid the spies. You see, I've given you already an honest declaration of her faith. She had said it. But she also showed it by the work. By the work, there was a, a, an honesty attached to what she had said. She put her own life in the line. She was willing to place herself in jeopardy for to see of the lives of these two spies. She had once lived a life of lust. That was in the past. But in the present, it's a life of love toward the Lord. And toward the Lord's people. Let me ask tonight, how do you respond in the world in which you live? Do you accept the world's standards of morality? 
whether it comes to same-sex marriage or abortion, for example? Do you attend the worldly venues, the places of ill repute? You've no thought or pang of conscience? Is your attitude among your peers to take that we drink or that we joint or engage in that we dance? When the university professor stands up and says the Bible is full of errors and there's no such person as God, do you sit and be silent? Or do you stand up and speak up for Christ? See, we live in a day of empty profession. We live in a day of counterfeit religion. We, we live in a day when people say, I believe in Christ to the saving of my soul, but there's no evidence or no works to accompany that. This was a courageous faith. What Rahab did to put her own life in the line by helping and hiding the spies, that took courage. And that's what I'm saying was the courage of faith. Also, very quickly, it was a considerate faith. See, Rahab not only had a love to save herself, but she had a love for her family. She requested the spies. If you look at it, it says... Verse 12, now therefore I pray you swear unto me by the Lord, since I've showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house. Give me a true token, and that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. Wasn't that a good indication that this woman was saved? That something genuinely had changed her life? She's full of compassion. She's thinking about her family. And she requests the spies show kindness to my family. She had a concern for her family. Have we a concern for our family tonight? What about our friends? What about our work colleagues? What about our neighbors? What about the stranger? Do you know I'm going to say something tonight and appreciate you coming? This is a Sunday night gospel service. We believe in a gospel service. But what we're witnessing tonight is true right across the country. The gospel service is under threat. We as God's people, we're so content to come. And it's good that we come. It's right that we come. But do we have a concern for others? Do we think of inviting others, family and friends? Let's not be cold. Let's not be callous. Let's not be compassionless and and inconsiderate. Rahab's faith was a considerate faith. She was thinking of others. Very quickly, it was a covenanted faith. Look at verse 18. There was an agreement. uh, Certain conditions had to be fulfilled. Rahab had to heed the call to stay in the place of shame. Rahab's house known as the harlot's house. We, we, we read that in verse 1. And they were told, bring all your family into this house. If you want to live and not to die. Yes, this is a place of shame, a place of ill repute, a place of immorality, a place of contempt. Now why? Why, why does the Bible teach this, tell us this? Is there not a parallel truth here? If our sins are to be forgiven and we're to be gloriously and wonderfully saved, then we also have got to go to the place of contempt. 
the place of shame, the place that was reserved for the lowest of criminals. By faith, the Lord would send us to Calvary. I must go home by the way of the cross, for the way of the cross leads home. Think of the middle cross. Think of Christ in the cross, dying in our guilty room instead. The Bible says, for you know the grace of God, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. Ye through his poverty might be made rich. For he that is God hath made him, that is Christ, to be sin for us, who knew sin. We might be made the righteousness of God in him. Think of Christ on the cross offering himself a once and for all sacrifice for sin. On the cross bearing the wrath of God. Bore our sins in his own body on the tree the Bible tells us. The place of shame. place of contempt. There's no greater place than Calvary. Also Rahab, here was the second condition, was to shelter underneath the scarlet cord. That cord had to be dependable. Because if you read the story right, the two spies climbed down that cord and put their full weight upon it. And that cord is a picture of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ tonight is dependable. You can put your full weight in him for salvation. You think of Pilgrim's Progress, the city of destruction, Pilgrim had a burden. He wanted to get rid of the burden. He was told how by evangelist. Go to yonder gate. He entered through the gate of true conversion. He went to the cross. And when he knelt at the cross, the burden was rolled away. Rolled away, rolled away. The little chorus says, and never came back. See, Pilgrim found the burden would roll away when he knelt at the cross. And you'll find that as well. Christ is dependable. You, you can trust him. He, he, he bore the weight of the sin of all who would trust him as Lord and Savior. Something else, very quickly, the cord was detectable. It was noticeable. What was it called? In verse 18, it's mentioned as the scarlet thread in the window. Notice the color. Scarlet. It ties into... The color of blood. Who would have noticed it? The people on the outside. The people who were going past the wall. There's a woman has a scarlet cord or rope hanging from her window. Wonder what that's for. Remember, it's a sign of the covenant. Isn't it wonderful that people on the outside notice what the church really stands for? I believe that people who are unsaved know what the Free Presbyterian Church ought and must stand for as far as the fundamentals of the faith. I, I believe that unconverted people know more than we think they really know. They certainly know the difference between a sham thing and a real thing. God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you to the Children of the Israelites in the land of Egypt. In other words, Rahab found protection under the scarlet cord. And you and I can find protection sheltering underneath the blood. You, you can find refuge there. That house stood even when the walls come tumbling down. And that, that part of the wall stood as a testimony that this family was under the protection of the covenant of blood. 
It was a covenant of faith. Stay in the place of ill repute and shame. Shelter underneath the red cord. Is that true of you tonight? The fruitfulness of your own faith? Is, is it detectable? Is it disclosed? I want you to close with this thought. The facts of Rahab that are detailed. Do you know that Rahab, after her conversion, exerted a powerful influence through Rahab, her family was saved? We read there in Joshua chapter 6, I believe it's in the verse um, 25, and Joshua saved Rahab, the heart of the life, and her father's household, and all that she had. And she dwelt in Israel even unto this day. That was the day of writing. Why? Because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. She had a powerful influence in her family. Did you know that Rahab became the wife of Salmon? Over there in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew. We read here in the genealogy of Christ. It says, And Salmon, verse 5, Matthew 1, begat Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. Do you see the connection? She was the mother of Boaz. And this young man, Boaz, turned out to be a wonderful man of God. He, he turned out to be a one who was full of grace and truth, one who was like Christ. She had a powerful personal influence, a particular influence, because her genealogy could be traced to Christ. A Gentile woman from the land of Canaan now in the line of Christ. And I put it to you tonight. That's all due to the amazing, transforming grace of God. And these facts are detailed for us in the Bible. And we should highly prize them and thank God for them. And I ask this. What facts can be detailed about us? What influence have we got in relation to our home? And how are we living to be seen to be connected with Christ? I leave that thought with you. May the Lord bless you tonight and thanks for coming.